I'm wiping my face and grease gets on my face. Oh, God. But I don't know. And you hear the mechanic be like, oh, no, he got grease on his face. Hey, podcast listener, you're listening to the Semi-Pro Cycling Podcast, the weekly podcast where we discuss all the issues that cyclists talk about. Whether you're out training, commuting, or just riding around, sit down and listen in because we're about to begin. I got something to say, man. Yo, welcome to episode 135 of the Semi-Pro Cycling Podcast, where we believe that only a semi-pro cyclist rides for love and not money. If you stick around to the end, I'll fill you in on the quote from the top of the show and let you know who's got grease on their face and more importantly, where they are. Hey there, semi-pros. My name is Damien Roos. I'm the founder of Semi-Pro Cycling, home of the Semi-Pro Cyclist, and you can find this episode at semiprocycling.com forward slash bunch. Now, we are starting with the performance probe this week. So probe number one is a study on L-citrulline, the watermelon nutrient, which we will refer to as simply citrulline. Citrulline is a relatively unknown non-essential amino acid, but recent evidence from both animal and human studies suggests that it may be able to enhance exercise performance. In particular, high-intensity anaerobic work such as resistance training. The study was published in 2014 and investigated the effects of citrulline malate supplementation on exercise performance, blood lactate, heart rate, and blood pressure during lower body dynamic resistance exercise. Twelve advanced resistance trained male subjects took part in a randomized, counterbalanced, double-blind study and were randomly assigned to either an inert placebo or 8 grams of citrulline prior to exercise. The resistance training consisted of five sequential sets at a weight equivalent to 60% of their one rep max, performed to failure on the leg press, hack squat, and leg extension machines. Before and after the resistance exercise, the subjects were assessed for levels of blood lactate, heart rates, and systolic diastolic blood pressure. Unsurprisingly, perhaps, as the sets progressed, both groups struggled to maintain the number of reps they could achieve. However, while there were no differences in lactate, heart rates, and blood pressure readings between the groups, the subjects in the citrulline supplemented group performed significantly higher numbers of repetitions during all three exercises. The researchers concluding that citrulline supplementation may be beneficial in improving exercise performance during multiple bout resistance exercise. So what are the recommendations that come from this study? Well, If we're talking about the amount that they were using, the evidence suggests that taking 8 grams of citrulline a couple of hours or so before you actually get into the gym or do other high-intensity exercises like sprinting could enhance performance. The cheapest way to take citrulline is a pure powder dissolved in water. You can get capsules, but they tend to be more expensive. Citrulline is generally a safe supplement, but do not take it if you're pregnant, breastfeeding, taking any drug for erectile dysfunction such as Viagra or you use nitrate supplementation products such as beetroot juice before exercise. Okay, there are some recent positive findings. We don't know exactly. It's early days when it comes to citrulline, but this is an interesting insight into the power of the watermelon. Definitely, there are elements here that can go across to your training so you get better results from high-intensity training. 
Try it out and let me know. Okay, probe number two, get in the mind of the world's fastest MTB racer. Bit of a talk up of a title, but of course it is from Red Bull. Who are they talking about? G. Atherton. The article is called The Mental Preparation Behind the Man. Find out what makes G. Atherton tick. If you don't know who G is, he's a downhill mountain biker and a pretty good one at that. Oh, what a line through there. I think he's got it. G. Atherton on his way to the line. He's going to take it, surely. He's done, man. He's done. He's took it apart. That's it. 2.6 up. G. Atherton is your new world champion. This interview looks at what it takes to become a world champion and what it takes to maintain the sort of level that has made G. Atherton one of the best riders in the world. So here are my top questions and answers from this interview. How important is mental preparation prior to race weekend? Mental preparation is very important. It's massive. In fact, I reckon that racing is 50% about the physical preparation and 50% about the mental. Do you have any special exercises, routines, visualization techniques, etc.? Where and when are these exercises and techniques implemented? Yeah, I use visualization techniques a lot. We have to know a track in real close detail and the length of the track, number of features, and the line choices we have to ride on that track is huge. For me, it's vital that I can picture myself leaving the start hard, riding every line accurately, and riding to the level of the ability that I know I can do. I have details of every racetrack I've ridden in the last five years still lodged somewhere in my head. I use these techniques all weekend practice seating and in between times a downhill stage can last only a couple of minutes but what is going through your mind whilst you are hurtling down a hill and the final question so much of what gets people to push themselves harder than anyone else to achieve their goals is down to motivation what motivates you at this stage of your career I guess it's a mixture. Good results can be a great motivator, but so can bad. Sometimes a poor result gives me a kick to go even harder for the next event. Having goals and achievements that I haven't fulfilled yet is a great motivation. I never feel like I've done enough. I'm not going to sit back and rest on the results I've got. I'm going to go for more. All right, so you're out on a bunch ride, enjoying the sunshine. You know it's a tough ride, and you know that that spot is coming up. That spot, that one spot, or two or three spots, that one that gets you every single time. Well, maybe not every time, but at least on your off days it gets you. Or the days where you spent too many bananas on the first half of the ride, and you get dropped. Whether it's in a race or a hard local bunch ride, we've all been there, watching the bunch ride away from us when we have hit our limit and just don't have it. It's at this point, many emotions are running through your veins, thoughts in your head. Some days you want to fight and other days you just want to give up. This week, we are going to take a look at advice for not getting dropped, but not your traditional position yourself better and ride as arrow as possible, more on what it takes not to get dropped when it counts, a way to help you break down your local bunch ride. 
First things first, though, this idea was brought to me by Bill from Dallas. Bill's a longtime supporter of the show and a tenacious competitor. After he was asked for advice on how not to get dropped from the South Ride, the hardest group ride in Dallas, which even by his own admission, he hasn't mastered finishing every single time yet saying, I finish the ride most of the time, but not all of the time. The best guys can ride away from me at will. I'm just trying to learn how to hang with the big dogs. And hanging with the big dogs is pretty much what it's all about. Bill went about analyzing the power demands of the ride, but there's more to it than this. Another reason for Bill's focus in his own words are, training with power is easy. But ask me what kind of power you need to stick with a fast ride I do every week and I got nothing. So I've started with Bill's approach and put together three steps for you to follow to analyze your local bunchie. This way you can get to know whether you've got what it takes or not and how much better you need to stick with the local heroes. By the way, I have done an episode similar to this. It was episode 64. I did a similar take, but for course analysis for your A race. Definitely check that out if you're training for a specific event. But if you're just not wanting to get dropped from a weekly ride, then this episode is definitely for you. So let's get to step number one. Identify points of interest. What are the standard attack points, climbs, sprints, and crosswind affected parts of the course? You must know this. Even if you don't make it all the way through, you must know where these happen. The funny thing is, you can go on rides without knowing, and all of these things are happening in front of you, and you have no idea what's going on. There was one ride in particular that I used to go on. I had no idea. In fact, I still probably have no idea where the finish line for the first sprint is. It's not like I haven't contested it before. It's just that I've kept riding and not really known if there was a specific line to end at, which is a little silly when you want to do your best in the ride and you want to preserve energy for later on. But any of these efforts will dictate what duration of efforts that you are looking for in the ride file. Part of the issue is how unpredictable these rides can be. They're open to everyone, and while the strongest will always come out on top, the strength of these riders on any given day may vary. Also, the fitness of the fittest local hero will wane over the year, meaning January is probably going to be slower than June or the other way around if you're in Australia. There's lots of factors to consider, so my recommendation is to collect data from more than just one ride. In a perfect situation, there would be the best numbers from numerous rides that make up your data set. Generally, using the best number that you have You could look at the averages or the range, but why not just aim for the best, even though it may be theoretical. There's no reason that you shouldn't just know what you have to do at your absolute best when you eventually start smashing them. This way, though, you definitely know that you've got it covered and you know where you have to take it if this ride is on from start to end. 
So first, look at the following figures from the ride, the normalized power for the entire ride without stops, and the best 60-minute normalized power. This is going to give you an idea of where your aerobic fitness stands based on the aerobic fitness demands of the ride. This is going to give you an idea of the overall load. If you can't match the watts per kilogram for this analysis, then start here. Start with your training here to build this up. But most of the time, though, it's not going to be the overall ride, especially on shorter ones or longer ones. As Bill makes note in his South Ride analysis, what I learned is that the hardest one-hour effort is not the problem for most people since it only comes in at 3.7 watts per kilogram. If this isn't the problem for you, it's going to be the efforts that are over threshold or over FTP that are affecting you. These are what I am defining as points of interest. So now is the time to define those points of interest. I use a Google spreadsheet to this part, which includes columns like start and finish of the point of interest, the type and number, which either it's a climb or something else that's tricky, the distance, the elevation gain, the average gradient, the elapsed time that it will take. And then I have the watts per kilogram for me, the average speed for me, and then other for comparison, the watts per kilogram for somebody else and the average speed of somebody else. quick note here, Bill actually chose a different path from a hunch about why riders get shelled on the south ride. I think what's hurting people are the short attacks, which I defined as two minute efforts. Two minutes is kind of random, but it seems like the length of time it takes to string out the field. I don't mind this approach, but don't necessarily believe it applies across all bunch rides. So for me, it's easy to just separate out the moments that are linked with a hard effort, specifically the ones that are little more predictable. This way you can prepare for them for more specific work, any training that you're going to do. Finally, it helps eliminate anomalies in the analysis. Like if you get caught out behind a split and you've got to fight to get back in, while these might be part of the ride, they are hard to plan for. So stick to the knowns for now. You could also run a comparison through a match chart report on each ride file. This way you'd be able to see if there are any specific durations you are burning matches at. And matches, as a reminder, are what Hunter Allen and Dr. Andy Coggan describe as an elusive term used by riders and coaches within the bike racing world. When you burn a match, you have done a hard effort. It's an effort that in which you had to dig deep or you had to really push yourself. Look at the placement of these matches. Did you get to recover from them? Are you strong at this duration? Matches can also break you. Knowing when you can be broken by matches, how many, which ones in this ride is really, really important. If you just get generally fitter, these matches are going to reduce. But if you want to reduce a specific duration, then you need to know where you're having trouble and then you need to target those in your training. But for now, let's collect more data to make some comparisons. So step two is Strava stalking. If you don't finish the ride that you're analyzing and you can't get a friend or a teammate's ride file to analyze, you have to turn to the greatest spying database of them all, Strava. 
Find the ride on Strava as an activity. Identify a rider that you know finishes the ride. Look for files with real power. I was easily able to find local Dallas hero Brett Cosby's file of the ride. But here's the problem with Strava. It's not that easy to find out anything more than overall data and segment data. Both are helpful in some respects when you're making early comparisons, but you have to manually find the points of interest in the map and then compare their power data to your own. So put this data from the new rider on the spreadsheet as well so you have a good idea of where you may be struggling to make the necessary power. Go through and make direct comparisons using watts per kilogram as the main metric. This is a little tricky as riders' weights are not always publicized. They can be found though. So have a hunt around before giving up. If you can't find the weight and you don't want to take a guess, then you're going to have to stick with average watts. It gets a little trickier that way though. But it's here that you need to start looking for patterns. And like Bill noticed when he looked at his two-minute efforts, these efforts can top 5 watts per kilogram and are seldom followed by a recovery period. I almost always miss the break when guys that can put out 5 watts per kilogram with one leg decide they've had enough of us Freds and ride away from the field. Try looking or think back. Where don't you get rest after a hard effort? What type of effort do you struggle with? Where do you get dropped? What was your power for the 10, 25, 2, 1 minute leading up to that point? Also, keep a lookout for short bursts over 15 seconds. These can really wear you down. And if you don't have the time to recover, can really affect you. From here, you could actually have a ride strategy that may be able to get you through the ride if you just plan it out a little bit better. Sometimes it is just all out and there's no option. So you really have to understand where those parts of the rides are and know that if it's in the gutter, you've got to work as hard as just about everybody else. One way to visualize exactly what's going on and when is if we mapped it out. So step three, map it out. I definitely think that listing each point of interest out on a map would definitely help. It makes for a great visual for a pre-ride psych up, but more importantly, it helps you identify trouble spots that numbers alone cannot. Bill produced a great map. He used Golden Cheetah to do his analysis, and I don't. So I'm not sure if it automatically generates this map, but basically it's a map of the ride with the two-minute intervals highlighted. If you could go one step further and put on the watts per kilogram figure on each of these sections, then it would give you an idea of where the hard parts are. If they're bunched together or you have a chance to rest, this is really going to give you a good idea of exactly where the trouble spots are. I'm not going to go into training in this podcast, but how to train for this is another podcast for another time. I am going to end with a couple of bonus steps, though. I do believe that if you printed out your points of interest, the kilometer mark where they are and the watts per kilogram needed, that way you know if you have something in the bank, if you're below the watts that will get you round with the group. Or if you're running hot and need to find some shelter before you'll spat out the hoop, this will give you a bit of an indication as well. My final idea is to set up the average lap power and hit the lap button at certain points in the ride to also know if you're riding too hard. This would help if you know how hard you went before you got dropped so you can hold back before it counts. I really like this stuff and I'm glad Bill got in contact and shared his idea about 
how he avoids not getting dropped in this bunch ride. I think you could analyze this to death. So that's why I just took one step back. And if you just think about it in more general terms, then it'll give you a better understanding of just whether you have it or whether you don't. Obviously, if you make it around one week and then don't make it the next, something is going on. It could also be kind of like G. Atherton is speaking about. 50% could be physical, 50% could be mental. So if you just don't have it on certain weeks, maybe it's a mental thing. So you need to prepare, you need to understand these points of interest, and then you need to put some mental preparation into seeing yourself getting over with the group. I certainly think that going through these three steps is going to help you understand the numbers you need at the important times. And if you can't remember them, which you probably won't, putting them on your stand and having them there and learning them with intimate detail is going to give you a better understanding and then hopefully you'll be able to smash it out every single week. Coming up, a set of ABS brake pads for bikes and a story of a team car visit at the Tour of Cali gone bad in front of millions. After this word from our sponsor. This week's episode is brought to you by you. Well, you, if you become a patron of the show, you'll be helping the show do great things for your performance, like uncover the performance secrets of cycling tires. I've got several big name tire factories near my place and would love to investigate everything about tires that can make you faster and your financial support can make this happen. Your patronage makes exploring and uncovering performance secrets possible. Plus, I have extended the competition I mentioned earlier. Definitely sorry to the folks that have already donated, but if you donate by the end of April 2015, one person will win a one-off semi-pro cycling t-shirt and Best of all, a chance to win a custom three-month training plan written by me or a one-hour phone consultation just for you. To unlock your potential and uncover performance secrets, show your support for the Semi-Pro Cycling Performance Podcast by going to semiprocycling.com forward slash support. Donate and you'll be entered to win. And now let's get to the tech hacks and products section. The product this week is called SABS, well, S-A-B-S, which stands for Safety Anti-Locking Brake System. It is an ABS system for bikes. The product itself is brake pads with some funky-looking cylinders attached. They are programmed to regulate your braking, which, if you understand what ABS does, it's these microseconds of on-off, 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 which enable you to control the braking, not skid, and be able to stop in a shorter time. The advantages are touted as reducing stopping distance and helping braking in the wet. The irony of this product is that the people that would be likely to buy a set of brake pads worth $130, yes, they range from $109 to $129 per wheel, are not the ones that need them. I know this sounds a little arrogant, but this product is much better suited to inexperienced riders, but I can't see them even buying this product because that's a pretty hefty price tag. I must say, I would just give them a miss. It seems like a few people have been doing this because they have been around for a few years and I've only recently heard of them. If you can learn how to brake properly over time and possibly disc brakes are introduced into the UCI Peloton, which means everyone else will follow, then you definitely won't need them. 
And now that quote from the top of the show, it's Tom Soliday from Optum Pro Cycling. Here's the story behind the grease on the face. Two years ago in the Tour of California, we were leaving Santa Barbara, and I was having a really bad day, and we were, it was a 100-mile stage, and I was 20 miles in maybe. So I dropped back to the car because I had sunblock all over my hands. I was just uncomfortable. My hands are slipping. How you doing, brother? Fine. You got like sunblock on the hands or something, but like slippery. Do you want me to give you something to wipe it off with? Yeah. It's probably good on bottles. Yeah, can I have a, a rag, Bob? Like a, yeah. Well, I got mechanics rags, but that's that's not too dirty. It'll be fine. Here, try this, man. So he gets it, he gives it to me, it's a dry rag. I'm like, could you wet it a little? So I give it back to him. This whole interaction's going on while we're climbing a mountain. And so the, you know, the group's still 30 seconds ahead of us. You know, I need to make sure I don't get dropped too much. And then they hand me the rag with a little water. So now Soliday is busy wiping his hands and his bars. Then, for whatever reason, he decides to wipe his face. But remember, it's a dirty rag. I'm wiping my face, and grease gets on my face. Oh, God. But I don't know. And you hear the mechanic be like, oh, no, he got grease on his face. Just wipe grease on his cheek. So everyone in the car knows what's going on. I have no idea. I'm like, okay, cool, thanks. Oh, And I leave, so they're just there to just laugh at the fact that I have grease on my face for the rest of the race. You also have to remember the race that Tom is speaking about is also televised in 120 countries live. Oh, my gosh. It may not have been just mechanics I knew, but a few other people. The U.S. national racing calendar, the NRC, gets underway this week with the Redlands Bicycle Classic in Redlands, California. And I'm sure all eyes will be on Soliday's team watching the one and only Phil Guyman. But good luck to everybody racing and have a great season. And that's it. You've been listening to the Semi-Pro Performance Podcast. This week's episode is brought to you by you. So to unlock your potential and uncover performance secrets, show your support for the Semi-Pro Cycling Podcast by going to semiprocycling.com forward slash support. But till next week, get on your bike and enjoy the pain cave or the hurt box, whichever one you're into. (laughs) 